Before we jump into this last episode of season two of the Spirit of West Texas podcast, Jared and I want to take a moment to express our very deepest sympathy to the families who lost loved ones during the horrific shooting that occurred on Tuesday, May 23rd at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. During this time of unthinkable devastation for so many, it's important we remember our founding principles of generosity and community. It is our privilege to launch Make Change for Uvalde to help raise funds for the survivors of those lost in the tragic shooting. The Make Change program was started in 2015 as a way for First United Bank customers and employees to give to those affected by Hurricane Harvey. Starting today, you can stop by any one of our First United Banking Centers to deposit your spare change into one of our Make Change for Uvalde jars. Or you can call 855-382-7827 to make a donation over the phone. To get the campaign started, the bank will make a lead contribution in the amount of $3,000. All the proceeds from this campaign will be donated to the Uvalde Community Response Fund. To learn more about how you can help, visit our website at www.firstunited.bank. Welcome to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, where we are having real conversations with people who live and work in West Texas. Our guests this season will tell us about their big dreams. They'll share about their challenges and successes that they've had along their journey. Listen in and we hope you'll learn something and maybe even have some fun with us along the way. Well, good afternoon now, Amy. Good afternoon, Jared. It's different to say that. It is a little different. It's different. Normally we're hitting morning hours (laughs) and we are in uh, mid-afternoon right now. I know. I might should have had a cup of coffee with me before we started this. I could probably do the same thing, but we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. I tell you, I'm really excited about this interview today. Me too. It's a little bit of a different twist than what we've normally yeah. come into, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. Do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, I'd love to. So, Jared, Laura recently did a director's spotlight on Mr. Schaefer that went out to all of our stars, so I'm going to use it to introduce him to our listeners. So today's podcast guest is David Schaefer. He is a trusted financial advisor and CPA that's played an integral role in many successful business ventures across the Texas Panhandle. He and his wife, Sherry, are faithful supporters of West Texas. The Schaefers are strong supporters of multiple programs at West Texas A&M University, contributing both time and resources to further the university. In 2019, David and Sherry were awarded the Legacy Award from the Engler College of Business at WTAMU, and they've been instrumental and the development of scholarships, athletics, Old Main Society, and the renovation of the Joseph A. Hill Memorial Chapel at WT. Earlier this month, Mr. Schaefer was recognized at the WT Homecoming Game as a 2020 Distinguished Alumni for his personal and professional achievements. When speaking of his recent recognition, David said, first and foremost, I have to give credit to my mother and father and that they laid such a legacy of service on each of us as their children. Speaking of David's father, Stanley, he is precious, precious man. He may have said it best. David operates with the highest amount of ethics and integrity, and he always puts other people ahead of his own wants and needs. And Jared, that is the spirit of West Texas and exactly why we're so lucky to have him on our podcast today. Absolutely. It sounds like David has a lot on his table. I I I was like, I got to get as much of his bio in this intro as we can, because if we (laughs) asked him to share with us everything that he's done throughout his personal and professional career, we would be here for days. Well, I'm excited to jump in. You ready to get in? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Welcome to the podcast studio, Mr. Schaefer. (laughs) It's truly an honor to have you here with us today. So each episode, we try to start out with an icebreaker so that everybody's comfortable with the interview, um, gets used to the microphones and, and to get the conversation going. So here goes. I recently read somewhere that people who snore or either serious snores <laughs> or light snores. He's smiling over there. So in a room of five people, there's bound to be at least one serious snore and possibly a few light ones. So we're in a room of seven, hmm. right? Seven. So it's possible okay. that one or maybe two of us Our are heavy, heavy snores. snores. Yes. So Jared, is that you? Are you a heavy or a light snore? 
I, if I'm really, really tired, I'll be a light snorer. I don't think I'm, I'm rarely in that heavy snore kind of category, okay. but, but, uh, Fiona's going to kill me for saying this, but she is, she is a heavy Fiona, snorer. I'm so sorry. I set you up for that. <laughs> I may have to cut that. So Mr. Schaefer, what about you? Well, at first it's glad, uh, it's great to be here today. <laughs> and if we're going to open about snoring, uh, you probably need to go to my website and read one of my <laughs> blogs from Spain. And it's we, and actually we, you that said that. And we touched about <laughs> snoring. I'm one of those medium snorers. Depends on who you ask. If you ask the grandkids, they may say, I'm a funny snorer. If you uh, ask my wife, she says, maybe it's really heavy. Uh, I think it's one of those medium, but I do snore. Okay, good. Well, I've, honestly, truth be told, I think I do too when I'm really tired. So to those of you who are listening that are from Canyon or Demet or the Amarillo area, you probably are very familiar with our guest, Mr. Schaefer, and his many accomplishments, both personally and professionally. But for those of you who are not, um, you tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, I'm just... Uh, uh, kid from a small town in Demet, Texas, and uh, grew up there, learned to work, learned to play, uh, went to tech for a year to go to school, and and really I went to tech to party for a year, (laughs) took a year off, and then went back and finished school at West Texas A&M University, which back then it was West Texas State University. Uh, And then I've I've been a CPA businessman the rest of my life. So... You grew up in Demet, and, and you have two wonderful parents, Stanley and your late mother, Geneva. What was it like being raised in the Schaefer household? You know, it was um, very comforting, uh, but also challenging, uh, because I think both parents were mentors that didn't push us, but they pulled us along. And we were always trying to figure out ways uh, to be successful at things, not necessarily what they laid out in front of us, but because of watching them and what they did, we wanted to be successful too. And so, you know, even in junior high and high school, that was part of our lives. So what kind of a kid were you? Were you an adventurous kid? Yes, to some extent. Um, probably not the ways that, that I should have been, but yeah. Did you get in trouble? I, you know, I, I, I did a I, I can admit it now. I did a good job of, of keeping things covered up. Well, okay. That's my sister with the two of us. I somehow always got caught, and she was the cover-upper. The worst worst trouble I ever got into was, was when I was over. In the seventh grade, Mom was my teacher in mm-hmm. English. And it was during those times when we were watching on the CBS News at night, the sit-ins, people protesting the Vietnam War. I decided we need to have a set-in at on the seventh graders and I talked to everybody into sitting in the hall in front of my mom's class. <laughs> Needless to say, mom didn't like it. Uh, Principal Harkins didn't like it. And Stanley Schaefer, when I got home, he didn't he did like, not like it. it. Yeah. So even then you were a leader at a young age for better or worse, I guess. Maybe somewhat. You know, it's a good segue into the next question. So it's been said that your drive and your get it done attitude have always been a part of who you are. So your brother Jerry tells a story about how Demet High School didn't have a track team when you were in school. So you took it upon yourself to form a team and you even would drive your teammates to track meets in your own car. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. So you just decided they didn't have one. So they needed to have one. Did you like to run? Well, I enjoyed it. Yes. I'm a runner from way back when. And, you know, we ended up my freshman year. uh, We finally got four of us, uh, two seniors and and, uh, two freshmen that really wanted to participate and so yes we would take the Volkswagen and go to track meets and I'd do the scratch meet with the other coaches Uh, but by the time we were senior you know we had 10 or 12 on the track team and the coaches were going and enjoying it and it was fun and and track is is a great and wonderful sport to fill in you know the springtime with. Listen I have going to a track meet tomorrow at five o'clock when I get off work. If you're around, you can come with me. My son does the triple jump. Good. The first track meet, he ran the 800. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was going to die. I mean, he just arms crossing over his body, horrible form. And he got like second to last. Yeah. Yes. And so after that, he was booted to the triple jump. <laughs> you just take each step, one step at a time right. and eventually get there. So did your parents encourage that sort of entrepreneurial leadership spirit in you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they 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 both really challenged me 
to, to do things, whether it was in sports, whether it was in academics, whether it was in work. I, you know, I started working at a very early age and probably won't call it work, but I was going to a feed yard when I was 10 years old with uh, Roy Cluck. And, you know, by the time I was 12, I had a, a work permit for, to drive and was actually going out and all my summers and breaks and stuff. I worked at feed yard and I did that through high school. So I learned to work and they, they really encouraged those kind of things. So the spirit of West Texas podcast is about sharing stories of big dreams. So you've had an incredibly successful business career, but I'm curious when you were in high school and Demet, when you were getting ready to leave high school and head into college at tech and then on to WT, what was your big dream when you were younger? You know, my big dream uh, was to go into the sciences, maybe be a doctor. I think I had that because I didn't want to do what my dad did because he was such this huge figure in, in my life. And I didn't want to try to step in and fill those shoes. And I didn't think I could. So I thought I wanted to be in the sciences. Analytical chemistry solved me of that dream. Yeah, I can't even spell analytical chemistry. <laughs> I can't imagine. So what were some of your early struggles early on in your career when you were figuring, trying to figure out what you wanted to do? Uh, that's a really tough question because, you know, as, as I look at my life, I think from getting through the educational process, the struggles were staying focused on completing the technical requirements for the education instead of working. Because I grew up working in education. It was easy. Um, you know, I, I, I made, I was lucky enough to make A's in everything I did uh, at the high school level. And so I never was really challenged um, when, I, when I got into the college level. The courses that I felt I'm going to say this wrong, but the courses that would help me in life, I really went after those, and I'd had no problem grade-wise. The courses that you had to take to get your number of hours to graduate uh, or the professors that just didn't really work hard, I didn't appreciate those courses, and, and I wouldn't attack those the way I should. Mm -hmm. So when you look at my transcript from college, um, you know, it's got a lot of A's, but then it's got a lot of C's in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> There's hope for Brady. So uh, the struggles that you had and some of those those things that you had to work through at an early age, what did you learn from those those challenges? You know, I think I learned to respect systems, uh, especially when, you're, when we talk about the educational system, uh, because ultimately the educational systems got me to where I am at now. And they also confirmed uh, my work ethic. Uh, when I worked hard, I did really, really well. When I didn't work hard, I didn't, did not do well. So Mark describes you, or he just, I heard him describe you one time as a risk taker when it comes to business. Um, how do you think that's a, that approach has paid off for you? I would say he's a lot more of a risk taker than I am. <laughs> I, I always thought I was fairly conservative. Uh, but, you know, when it when it comes to stepping out and attempting things in business, I've never been afraid to do that. And some people might view some of those things as, as taking a little bit of a risk, and they all are. But I think it would be better defined as taking calculated risk. So why are you not afraid? What makes you not afraid? Yeah, I think we've all failed in life at different points. And I have found out that when I fail, I can get back up and I will succeed one way or the other. And that I don't mean that uh, presumptuous. It's just, you know, that's kind of the school of hard knocks that we go through in life. And when you uh, fall down, you get back up and start doing whatever you're doing again. So if you, if you Google David Schaefer, the Schaefer family for that matter, you'll immediately see a ton of articles that talk about the generosity you've shown over the years um, throughout your community, particularly for your beloved West Texas A&M. How, you, how did your parents model for you a legacy of service? 
Big time. Um, You know, when we really got started in life, and, and this probably happened after mom retired from teaching, which she retired from teaching very early. I don't know what age, but, you know, I was um, out of out of high school, and I don't think out of college yet, but they were able to, she didn't have to teach anymore. And she taught everybody around her to give back. And that's kind of the focus of her life. And when you look at the mentors in uh, my life, all of them were taught by my mom, who they were peers. She taught them how to give. And, and it we're not just talking about dollars and when we, we're talking about giving. We're talking about giving of the heart and the soul and, you know, giving of, of elbow grease and time. And, you know, she she did all those things. And everybody that was around her, she pushed them to do that. And so it just came very naturally uh, by being around her. And if you talk to my dad, he will tell you today uh, that mom's the one that taught him to give. Uh, You know, when you look at Shirley Garrison, who is a big part of who First United Bank is right now, Shirley, uh, his first major gift, which was 25000 he gave it to WT because of mom pushing him to do it. And all of a sudden, he turned into this philanthropist that loved giving. And it was because mom taught him it was good to give and it was good to give back. And, uh, you know, there's there's multiple people in our life that she reached out and touched like that. So... You're a part of a leadership team. Speaking of WT, you're a part of a leadership team that re- recently launched a $125 million capital campaign. The campaign's called One West. It's going to help establish WT, um, help establish itself as a regional research university, not only in West Texas, but around the world. So tell us a little bit about that campaign. Well, the campaign technically started in uh, 2017, and, and the cornerstone of it, that campaign uh, was the Paul Engler gift, which is a million dollars a year for 80 years present value. That was, I think, $26 million at, at that point. So that $26 million was the uh, cornerstone of this campaign. Um, and we've kind of been preparing for a time to go public and COVID got in the way of that. And so we went public this last year and we went public. And at that point we had raised um, 80 million over the last three and a half years. So that was the start, the public start of this. And and we're shooting for 125 million. Uh, we had a uh, announcement this morning, we're at 107 million. So, you know, we're going to, I hope easily uh, surpass the 125 million. But when you look at why we're doing this, uh, the campaign is is defined as all encompassing. It is for gifts to WT for whatever the donor wants to use it for. It's not for a specific challenge of let's go build athletics or you know let's go build the. Uh, ag department or whatever it it is uh, it's all encompassing but when you look at at um, secondary education colleges the state is funding less less and less of those budgets and so it becomes dependent upon the uh, donors the the supporters of those universities to keep them strong and the way that they're going to do that is through donations and building enough endowments to keep the university funded with with less public support. What do you think your mom would think about the campaign? She would be questioning why we're not a about over 150 right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good enough. I, I think you might get there before 2025, though. We might. Yes, we might. You know, I, and I, I really hate to say this uh, in public, but from private internal conversations, we've set an internal goal of, of $200 million. Uh, I don't know that it's uh, attainable. 
because we are a small university and and uh, but yet we're a rich university and that we have a ton of uh, people that have walked those halls that have gone out in life and really done well and so we've we've made a strong presence upon West Texas and the Texas Panhandle. So you talk about when talking about that capital campaign, you talk about the world and, and, you know, making an impact around the world. So I just I use that phrase, speaking of the world, Mr. Schaefer, back in 2015, you decided to take a break, a very lengthy break from work and community service. So tell us about that. You know, in that year, uh, I, I had passed the 60 year mark in my life and when I look back at that point, it had been probably 17 years since I'd taken a two-week vacation. I'd taken, you know, a long weekends and, and a week vacation in there, but really hadn't taken a long vacation. And so I decided I wanted to go to Spain and walk across Spain. There is a uh, an old Catholic pilgrimage trail that uh, crosses the, the northern Spain and uh, the main part of the trail is about 500 miles, and I thought, I'd like to go do that. Um, but to do that, it would force me to take, you know, five or six weeks uh, off work, uh, just step out of my life that as I know it. And, you know, when I started talking to people about it, my wife was my best cheerleader. Uh, my business partner said, go, everything's going to survive here in the office without you. And, uh, you know, my parents, uh, they loved the idea. Of course, I think they were just living vicariously through <laughs> what I was wanting to do. So I got on a plane, flew to London, took the train down to Paris, took the bus or the, another train down to s- southern France and took the bus to the starting point. And I got off and walked for 32 days and went 500 miles and had the most fantastic time uh, getting to meet people from all over the world, getting to see the parts of life that you never get to see if you're on a car or a bike. Uh, you know, when you're walking the slow walk, uh, you you see everything in life. And it was a fantastic trip, fantastic time. and. Once it was over, when I got back, I'll be darned if the office wasn't still there. Things were still going. (laughs) No businesses had failed in the interim. Uh, Life got on pretty good without me. Mm, What a humbling lesson. Mm -hmm. Right? Very much so. Jared, you know that song? Remember that song from the 90s? And I would walk 500. (laughs) He did it. He literally did it. Yes. Can you sing more of that? No. <laughs> You're the singer of the group. You sing it. You'd be surprised at how many times I heard that. that the last, joke, yeah. I'm sure. The last three or four days of as we closed in on uh, Santiago, uh, people were playing that on their uh, music. Well and, deserved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so did you always enjoy hiking? Did you always enjoy the outdoors? You know, I used to be a runner, and I quit that for a very specific reason. Um and then, you know, I've, I do different things, and, and I've kind of gone through different periods in life, and I, I went through a pretty long time of bicycling, and I, I loved it, um, but I'm slow, um, sl- pretty fast when I ran. I was slow when I biked. I sl- I'm slow when I hiked, but in hiking, I found that, that there is something very comforting about being out in nature. And when I was biking, you know, you're going 12 to 18 miles an hour down the road. You're not out in nature. You know, you're going to catch the wind. You're going to catch the rain, but you're not going to notice what you're passing. You're Mm -hmm. just going too fast. Uh, When you're going three miles an hour on your feet, uh, you're in nature. And plus, when you're hiking, you usually don't go on the roads. You're going out whether it's in the mountains or on the flats. Uh, and so it gives you a whole different perspective. So on your blog, you give the definition of a sabbatical, which is what you took, mm-hmm. a sabbatical. 
So how did you, I mean, physically, it sounds like you were, you've, you've spent a lifetime, you know, running all the way back to high school and, and being active. So how did, how did you prepare for that mentally and spiritually to be away from your family and work and in isolation for that long? A lot of prayer. Um, but other than that, from a mental standpoint, I don't think I could prepare for it. I think I just had to jump into mm-hmm. it and decide. I decided that I was going to do it, and then jump jumped in and did it. And then once I was there, then I figured out, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing at this time in my life. And so the mental part was the thing that worried me the most. Uh, you know, I could go walk 10 to 15 miles a day. That's not a problem. And, and anybody can quite honestly do that because if you think about it, you get up and start at 8 in the morning and walk a few miles and stop and, you know, have mid-morning snack or breakfast and walk a few more, more miles and stop for lunch, walk a few more miles, stop for wherever you're going to spend the night. And, you know, that it's an easy process. Um, anybody can do it. Just nobody thinks they can do it until you actually do it. So once you got there, how long did it take you to to really allow yourself to put down your work and your other responsibilities, the guilt? Two days. That's it, two days. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because it, it, that simple life that I just described makes you focus on that simple life. All the life. distractions are gone, yeah. Because you have to get up in the morning and you know you've got to walk. You know you're going to have to find places to eat. When you get to where you're going, you know you've got to, you know, take a shower and wash your clothes and get ready. And by then, you need to go out into the village that you're at and find a place to eat. And then it's time to go to bed and then get up and start all over again. So I know there were times, many times on your journey that you wanted to quit, especially at the beginning. You didn't feel that well of that trek. So when the mental challenge and the physical challenge are almost about to get the best of you. I mean, how do you overcome that? How do you continue and persevere? You know, there's there's always this thing in in endurance sports and, and my hiking is definitely not an endurance sport other than it just covers a few miles. But people always say never quit on a bad day uh, because there's going to be bad days. But really in life, there's going to be bad days. And so you never quit something in life just because you had a bad day. And the same when we're out hiking, you know, you, you just don't quit on a bad day. If you have a really good day and, and your, your mind's telling you it's time to quit, then maybe it's time to quit, but not on a bad day. So since 2015, you've taken other adventures. Um, in 2018, you decided to try the treacherous hike to base camp on Mount Everest. So Everest Base Camp is 17,500 feet um, in elevation and not easy. So why why did you decide you wanted to try Everest? Because it was there. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, you know, we had been blessed uh, by our youngest daughter, Ashley, spending time <clears throat> in Southeast Asia. Uh, and I had grown to, to like the people in that area and Nepal even though it's not Southeast Asia it's it's kind of an extension of that and I thought it this is an opportunity for a really fun challenging trek and also to to experience um, you know what those people might be like and I, I'm a pretty shy but yet I'm a people person I like to watch people and, and and see what they're like and when I go places you know the best best thing you can do is just people watch uh, and Sherry said okay you can go and so I went and that was one of the most fantastic trips uh, over there the people in Nepal have an absolute uh, love built in their nature uh, and you know I've heard it said that well that's because you know they cater to to hikers and climbers and but it, it's not you you spend that much time with them you learn that they're really true people and they enjoy it and I'm you know in the back of my mind I want to go back and do the Annapurna circuit just so I can go back and be around the people uh, from Nepal 
uh, they're really great people. So day 10 of your trek to base camp, you're 17,000, over 17,000 feet in elevation, 1.9 miles to base camp, and you have a tough decision to make. Tell us about that. You know, that's that was probably the toughest day in my life. Um, and let me back up and give a little bit of, of perspective. Uh, 10 days up to the base camp. Uh, we, we fly into Lukla, which is the... You survived that. The most dangerous airport <laughs> in the world. And, you know, you, you, you just, you're glad when they hit the ground. You're also glad when they don't run into the wall. and <laughs> <laughs> The mountain. That's what he means. <laughs> Google it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we got going. On the, the, the second day, I started getting sick, uh, respiratory uh, deal. And so I, I took... Uh, a Z-Pack with me, and so I had taken it uh, and never really got over that. And on that 10th day, uh, we were starting, I think, in Long Boche, um, going up to Gork Ship, and we were going to stop at Gork Ship for lunch. And then from Gork Ship, it's, it's basically down in the valley to Everest Base Camp. Uh, going up uh, into Gork Ship, actually, I think my GPS topped out at about 17,400 feet, which is pretty high to, to be walking. But I, I was having problems taking full steps. You know, uh, my mind wasn't processing the way it should. Uh, and so it would have been dangerous for me to go on beyond Gork Ship. And so I had to stop right there. And if you read my blog, you'd you, you, saw where I was three kilometers, 1.9 miles, 3,300 yards, uh, you know, 4,000 steps from Everest Base Camp. And that was the goal. Uh, And that was tough to make that decision that I was probably sick and I didn't need to go any further. And so I I didn't, and I stopped right there, uh, got the helicopter ride down, but, you know, as I look look back, uh, you know, the, the blog that I wrote that day, I really wrote it from the standpoint that I failed. You know, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish because my dreams and my prayers had been that I would get to Everest Space Camp and then the next morning there's a little hill right beside it, Calipatter, uh, that, that I was going to go up. And that would have put me up at 17,800 feet. And so I, I had it in my mind that, that it, I just, I failed. Um, you know, when I called home, you know, I was crying. And Sherry thought I was deathly ill because of that. But it wasn't. It was just that I felt like I had to give up on this dream. But by the next day, uh, when I was thinking through everything, I didn't fail. You know, I succeeded greatly. Uh, God just didn't want me to step foot, you know, on Calipatter. He didn't want me to step foot on Everest Base Camp. But at Gork Ship, I had a fantastic view of Calipatter, this little hill in the background, which at 17,000 feet, nothing's a hill. But, um, and, you know, they turn the other way and you're looking down in the valley and see all the yellow tents at Everest Base Camp. Uh, so I, I, I was there. I I saw what I needed to see. So God gave me the blessing of being there and doing that. He just said, you didn't have to go that extra 1.9 miles. And so that's where we ended up. It was a tough time, but it was also a very good learning time. Uh, You know, we set goals in life, and we think we fail if we don't meet the goal that we defined. But sometimes God has different goals for us. I'm thinking about Moses mm-hmm. when you tell that story. So lucky for all of us, Jared, you decided to document your journey for friends and family through a daily blog. Why did you decide to do that right from the beginning? That it's easier for me to write than to talk. Um, and I thought if I write and this was going through my mind before I went to um, Spain uh, in 15. 
I can put things in there that I probably wouldn't tell people. And that was in, in my mind. And I think by doing so, I was able to communicate more of the inner feelings that I had uh, on my trips. And, and I think I've done that to a decent extent to let people see not only where I was going and what I was doing, but also what was in my mind while I was doing those things. And so I wanted to give that. And originally it was just meant for family. Uh, but, you know, when I went to Spain, my brother, who has probably 5,000 friends and 4,000 of those were on Facebook. <laughs> you know, I had a very popular uh, reading group uh, on the blog, and, and that, that also put a lot of pressure on me to, to keep the post up yeah. to date. Uh, and so it, it made me stay focused on doing that. So I'm going to tell our listeners where they can find your blog later in the episode, but I want to share a bit of the blog. Um, some of my favorite quotes from the blog, the title, Jared, is David's musing about travel and other experiences. So here are a few of my favorite quotes. But when you look at it, it's a simple existence. The function of life here is to keep moving towards the goal we've been given or chosen. When in nature, let nature provide. But that is the way life is. Sometimes we have sunshine and sometimes we have foul weather. Either time we must go on in life. That's really applicable for those of us in Lubbock these last few days. <laughs> we never realize how special our daily existence is until we step out of it for an extended period of time. Life is full of surprises. I hope we see we all see them and enjoy them when they come. I noticed after leaving, none looked back. They were all looking forward to the life and adventure ahead. I even noticed I had no desire to look back. I was just excited to be moving forward. So what did the exercise of journaling and blogging, what did that reveal to you about yourself? First, let me let me go back to that last quote that you had, uh, nobody looking back. Uh, there was a place in, in Spain where there was a monument just set up in the middle of the trail, and it had gotten huge people... You're, you're supposed to take a rock or something uh, and and some people would tie notes around them or whatever, but they would were to represent something in your life that you wanted to leave and not keep carrying. And uh, that was the 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 thing that that I did when I uh, I laid I took a rock. Uh, from the Texas Panhandle, uh, carried it all the way over in my backpack and had hand-painted on there uh, what it, the, the thing that I wanted to leave. And I left it on the stack uh, and then walked off. And, and I noticed these other people around me were doing the same thing as I was. Nobody looked back. You know, everybody was going forward. They were able to leave their problems behind or whatever problem that they had. Now, back to your question. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I'm trying not to cry. That's such a good story. I, um, I guess you probably learned a lot about yourself as much with the physical and the mental exercise of your treks. You probably learned just as much through that exercise of journaling. I'm just wondering what all that revealed to you. I think it taught me that I can be honest in my journaling my blogging uh with a knowing that others will see that because it's easy to be honest with yourself but it's hard to let that honesty out and let other people get a glimpse of who you really are and i hope you know if people read my blogs um they'll get a glimpse of who i really am and Quite honestly, I really need to get out and take another trip and and do another set of blogs because I only blog when I'm traveling. On day 13 of your Camino pilgrimage, that I noticed when I was reading through all of your blogs that that was the first time you quit referring it referring to your trip as a hike or a trek. On day 13, you started calling it an adventure. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how have these adventures changed you and made you a better husband, father, grandfather, friend, coworker? That's, I think it has made me a better person because 
it has allowed me to stretch myself, to learn that I can do things um, that I didn't think I could do, but also, as I mentioned a while ago, to accept um, stumblings and failures easier. Uh, It's just, it's become a point of life that shows all parts, the strengths, the good things, the bad things, the weaknesses. And when you're out on the trail, there are times when life is just so wonderful, all you want to do is stay there. There are other times when life is so terrible that you wonder why in the heck you put your shoes on that morning. But, you know, if you can enjoy the good times, and if you can step past the bad times, you become such a stronger person. And I still have a long ways to go before I'm a really strong person, but I think I'm stronger than I was originally. And that's given me the opportunity to go out and I think be a, a better person, you know, whether it's, it's a, as a husband or a granddad, uh, you know, I'm, I'm better able to understand when people have good times and what they're going through and when they have bad times and what they're going through. You've been around so many different people and you just said that you're a people person, so many different cultures and backgrounds. How has your world travel shaped your view of humanity? You know, in life, I always challenged my girls uh, when they were in, in high school to go out and get a backpack and go travel Europe for a summer. Um, the first one did not take that challenge. The second one went and did a semester abroad in Italy. The third one became a world, world traveler and missionary. But those of us that have had the opportunity to step beyond our borders, we're able to see a different life. And I've been in parts of the world where people would call it a third world country. But yet, I've been able to see the hearts of those people, and their hearts are as good and sometimes better than ours. I've been to places that are very pretentious, um, and I've seen the hearts of those people, and, you know, you can take and leave those people out there. You know, it's just different. But the other thing that, that really amazes me, and Europe probably touches me like this more than anybody else. As an American, we are really presumptuous that we're the only solid people that deserve anything on this world. And when you go you go to um, France or Spain or, or England, you know, you walk on these roads and go into these houses that that are 500 to 800 years old and you know makes us look like babies but you go one step further and go over to italy and you're walking on roads that are 2000 years old that just makes us look crazy for even assuming uh that that we are the the chosen ones it, it america's we, we really need to pay attention to the rest of the world. Perspective. Yes. So this podcast, we created it, our team created it because we wanted to, to promote the spirit of West Texas. And, you know, Rue said, excuse me, Ray said the true spirit of West Texas lies in the hearts of its people. And so we're talking to people about their big dreams. So what would you say to someone listening who's been dreaming about starting or trying something new, whether it be a business or a hobby you know, whatever it is, what would you say to them based on your own experience of chasing big dreams? Go for it. Absolutely go for it. You'll never know whether you'll succeed if you don't try. And in business, if you don't take this step forward and take a little bit of challenge and take a little bit of that risk that Mark was talking about, you won't succeed. Um, but you you know, you won't do anything. You've got to, to step out. And in life, there are so many opportunities in life that are, I'm not talking about business here, but just to be able to, to see the world. And to see the world doesn't mean you have to go to Nepal 
you know, it might mean you need to go, you know, up to North Dakota and just see what different people there are because every part of the world, whether it's all parts of the United States or whatever, people are different and they approach life different and you need to go see those and you need to, to enjoy those and enjoy those people. And so that's, that's what we need to do in life. We need to step out and just go. So you've had the privilege of traveling all over the world. I wonder, what is it that keeps you here in West Texas? What do we have here that you can't find anywhere else in the world besides a haboob? I've only seen one haboob here. (laughs) (laughs) It was tremendous. Um, We've got sunsets. That's true. That's a standard answer. (laughs) You know, really, it is the people. Uh, Everywhere that I've been... When I come back home here, I have people that are just nice, friendly, easy to get along with, and respect. And that's West Texas. That's West Texas inside and outside. If it wasn't the people, I don't think any of us would be here. Uh, But because of the people, it is home. So... There are, you say there are other places in the world that are still calling. You, you'd go back to Patagonia, but other places are calling. So where do you think you're being called next? <laughs> Sherry, here it comes. <laughs> Y'all know that, 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 you know, several years ago I told Sherry, I said, I really need to start taking two trips a year. Um, and she wasn't paying attention. She was watching I think it was Hallmark, and, and she wasn't paying attention. And I said, did you hear me? She said, yeah. And she said, yeah, okay. She had no idea what she was saying okay to. Uh, so that was 2020. And I went to Patagonia in February, which if anybody knows for me, that's the wrong time of the year to be out and around. <laughs> but I did, and I was going to take another trip. So COVID's kind of shut things down. So I have a lot of catching up to do. I have never been on the African continent. Um, There's a little hill there that I really feel like I need to do. Uh, Kilimanjaro. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say, if he says Kilimanjaro, that's that's just annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And and like I said, I really want to go back to Nepal um, and do the Annapurna Circuit. Uh, I really think that's a good place to go. Those will probably not be uh, 22 trips. Um, if there is a 22 trip, it's probably going to be to Colorado and do maybe a couple of weeks on the Colorado Trail. Awesome. Mr. Schaefer, you certainly deserve it. Um, for everything that you do for us here at the bank, um, on behalf of all of our employees, we appreciate you so much. And thank you. I know you're so busy. Thank you for coming and sharing your journey with us today and the experiences that you've had. This has been a blessing. You bet, Amy and Jared. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thanks for the podcast. It's, it's fun. It is fun. Amy, I don't even know where to start. I know. Wrapping up this. Episodes. Uh, that's <laughs> Nobody wants to hear from us after that. How can we top what was already done? We can't. So all we can do is just try to highlight some of the Our favorites. the favorite points. Yeah, some of his, his better musings, which they were all, all of them are better. <laughs> My gosh, we, I found myself, I know I'm supposed to be writing stuff down and, and, uh, and remembering things for this outro, but I found myself just drawn in to what he was saying and forgetting that we're doing a podcast several times. I was like, oh, I gotta gotta snap out of that. I know. I wish that people could be in the podcast studio with us because and this happens every episode I feel like. I mean, we say continually, my gosh, there's this energy in here because Mm -hmm. the people that we're talking to have such a great energy and a great spirit, but he is a quiet spirit. Yeah. He's a quiet, I mean, you had to turn his microphone up. It is. He's Um, cranked up. And just... That it's the quiet ones you have to look out for. Mm-hmm. You know, they they introspective. Yes, mm-hmm. um, he draws you in. Yep, he definitely um, did. You know, he said that about his parents early on, and, and the way that they raised he and his brother. You know, they they didn't. He never felt pushed. He felt pulled. I feel like David is pulling us along yeah. um, with every word that he speaks. You know, I brought this up uh, off air a little bit, but you know, you have those moments where you're in a movie theater or you just watch a really good movie and you, or you have a really good conversation you walk out and you just want to carry that with you in choices that you make 
in the future, I really hope that this sticks with me. I know. And then I make some of these, some of these choices and make some of these decisions uh, down the path so this does stick with me. I know. It was just so motivational and so inspirational. I know. He says, you know, that when he, he took his first trek, he was 62 years mm-hmm. young. Yeah. I mean, he really, he believes that, you know, um, 62 years young, me, I'm 40 years young. And I think, oh my gosh, like, what have I been doing in the last 40 years? Well, okay, there's no time like the present. And it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. what it is that you want to do for him. It's hiking. Um, you know, these incredible adventures that he goes on for other people. It could be gardening. It could be cooking. It could be violin lessons. It doesn't Anything. matter what it is, mm-hmm. but life is too short to sit on the sidelines and not be out participating and playing, you know, and, and living your life. If you see something you're drawn to, just, just do it. Just yes. try it. Just go for it. Exactly yes. what he said. You know, I talked to, uh, to Fiona and, and our family quite a bit about being in the now, you know, and it's life is structured in a way to where we're always looking towards the future. We're always looking for what's next, you know, and the stuff that he does, these, these treks and these adventures that he does, I find the hardest part of this for me would be being in the now only with yourself. That's right. It's, it's all you and all in your head and all your thoughts. That is in the now to the fullest extent. It is, yes. And I think too, there's a balance for him and I, I with being in the now and being present in your own mind the mental endurance and the mental toughness it takes to do something like that to go walk for 32 days mm-hmm. to literally walk 500 miles but he also said you know he loves people he has a deep yeah. love for people and he likes their heart he looks at their heart yeah I love listening to him talk about other people mm-hmm. and how good people are good mm-hmm. you know we get fixated on the bad but people people are good yeah I don't uh, uh, I don't know how to sum up what I got from this interview. I just hope it sits with me for mm-hmm. as long as it possibly can because it was inspiring, life-changing, meaningful. All the above. All the above, yeah. yeah. We could not have picked a better guest to wrap up season yep. two of the Spirit of West Texas podcast. So we're sitting here talking about all of these things that, that Mr. Schaefer has done, but you don't have to just listen to this po- podcast and that be the <laughs> end. Um, you can read all of his blogs. You can read about his musings of travel and, and other things um, on his blog. Mm-hmm. His blog is davidswalk.com. Davidswalk.com. We'll have that link along with some of my favorite inspirational musings from his blogs and the notes from this episode on our website at Spirit of West texaspodcast.com so if you haven't subscribed to this podcast what are you doing uh there is so much <laughs> great stuff here that's right what else between you, me and amy for crying amy, out loud what else could you possibly be listening to but seriously we hope that you've been um you know listening in continually and not just popping in and out for individual episodes so subscribe if you haven't done it already this is the last episode for season two but it's not too late no it's one little button subscribe just hit that button so jared david said don't quit on a bad day but this is our last episode, so we're, last we're quitting of the on a really good day. Yeah, well, I think we, yeah, we were taking his advice to heart. Okay. I can't ask for a better ending That's to right. this season because it just sums up all the great guests and wisdom that we had throughout the season. What a great season. Great season. Thank yeah. you all so much for listening. Um, thank you all on behalf of First United Bank, and we hope you'll um, keep following us and stay tuned for information about season three. Thank you all so much. Until next time.